The number 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to the uh, injury calculator. An amazing little tool a little later on in the show, Savan, but uh, we'll get to all that. But first we get to the week that was. And uh, you got a friend with us today. Terry is here. That's right. Uh, Who apparently knows half the staff in this radio station already. We wait for all the meet and greets to end, and it's like, okay, eventually we're going to get to the show. That's right. It's going to be a very exciting part of the show because Terry has been in the insurance industry for many, many years. And so while I talk about the legalities of the cases that I deal with day in and day out, uh, you know, and answer people's questions, emails, phone calls, etc., Terry was actually on the other side. And so he has a wealth of information and he can uh, deal with some of the substantive questions about Mm -hmm. uh, disability and any other insurance questions that come up. Uh, So really, really excited to have Terry here. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. Uh, John, let let me start off uh, by talking as usual about the week that was. And again, it was a very, very uh, busy week. In fact, on the way to the station here, I received an email from someone in my office because we were contacted by an individual uh, who had a CDU accident back in July of this year. And that person went on long-term disability uh, in September of 2016. She attempted to do a six-week return-to-work program. Uh, In October, late October, the pain was too unbearable, and she contacted the company and informed them that she she would not be able to go back to work Mm -hmm. due to to the pain. This This is her employer. Uh, she went to her doctor, who again put her off work and completed the forms necessary for her to return back to LTD. And her LTD insurer denied uh, that claim, denied her uh, request to be put back on LTD, even though she tried to, you know, as we say often, mitigate, mitigate. her damages, go back. She tried to be compliant. She wasn't able to. And now she's stuck because she can't go back to work and she's not getting LTD. And she contacted us saying, I'm going to appeal the decision. But my question is, first of all, is, you know, should I do that? And number two, what do I do with my employer? Because apparently my employer uh, has verbally told me, told her, uh, that they're looking to terminate her employment mm. if she's unable to go back to work. And, of course, we talk about this all the time, whether in the context of long-term disability or in the context of a car accident, slip and falls, you have an injury, you're having difficulty, you're trying to get better, you're trying to get better by going to doctors, by trying to go back to work, you are unable to, you need more time. And you're getting the squeeze, both from the insurance company as well as from your employer. Yeah. And, of course, at the firm, we have both employment lawyers and uh, long-term disability, injury lawyers, insurance lawyers, and so we can deal with everything. And we'll be able to help this lady. And I would advise her, and we're going to talk about appeals when we uh, get to, to Terry here. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to talk about does it make sense to appeal? Uh, do appeals actually work? Who are you appealing to? All right. these interesting questions that we often banter about. But we're going to be able to help this lady. But, again, very important. Oftentimes, you're in that situation, you're getting squeezed from all sides. This is where we come in because while you're speaking with me and I can help you with the LTD questions that you have, we also have other people at the same firm who Mm -hmm. can coordinate uh, any help you may need on the employment side. So very, very important. You're not going to separate lawyers. So just wanted to mention that. It just literally emailed, you know, this information was emailed to me as I came to, uh, to, to the station. Uh, second uh, interesting case uh, that I want to talk about, and this was a question that was submitted to another website we have, myaccidentquestions.com. And this individual, his name is David, uh, wrote, I'm appealing the denial of my LTD claim. My deadline to submit is January 30th, 2017, so it's coming up. He says, I feel pretty confident that I will have the appeal done before that date, but I want to know if I have any recourse should a second denial uh, be made. 
And so his question obviously is, you know, we have this two-year limitation period for starting claims in the event uh, that, you know, these appeals run out. And, you know, I mean, my view on this again, and again, we'll speak with Terry, is does it make sense to prolong the process unnecessarily? Should you even appeal? Should you just start a claim automatically through a lawyer? Uh, and, and the reason for that, you know, wh- why I keep emphasizing that these claims are so effective, and by claim I mean, you know, an, an, an actual court action, right. although you never, not never, but rarely ever get to court, is because by initiating a legal process, you are putting, figuratively speaking, a gun to the insurance company's head. They have to deal with it. They can't just brush it aside. Uh, they may, uh, you know, very well try to prolong the process, but oftentimes these cases are actually, they don't take a long time to resolve in the grand scheme of things. If you were to appeal the decision, and this gentleman apparently is appealing for the second time, I don't know when he was denied, you know, the first time, my, my advice would be, you know, forego the second appeal, let's start a claim right now, the file will probably get transferred to a lawyer that's defending yeah. the insurance company, it's a fresh set of eyes, will probably end up going to a mediation and probably resolve the claim. And again, that's what, at the end of the day, everyone wants. Everyone wants a resolution. It's how we get there. Do you get there with a straight line? Do you get there through a zigzag or Mm -hmm. a detour? And as far as I'm concerned, and again, we'll see what Terry says about that, I consider these appeals, for the most part, to be detours. And oftentimes, not even detours. Oftentimes, you get frustrated to such, such an extent that you end up just giving up or you don't have the resources, both financial and emotional, to continue on with the fight. And so that's where, again, we come in. So that was just a very interesting situation. I keep getting these people who are emailing me and contacting me, asking me, should we appeal? No, you should not appeal as far as I'm concerned. 416-216-5910 is the number in help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to toss an email our way? We'll get to that. We'll get to Terry Corcoran here in just a bit. A lot of information on the other side. That would be the insurance side of the business, as we always talk about week in, week out here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So some news came out. In fact, you emailed me this weekend while I was at home. Tell me what's yeah, going on. So, so as many people know who read the Toronto Star, or have friends who read the Toronto Star, family members. There was an article about uh, a law firm that advertises quite widely. Yeah, a lot. uh, Diamond and Diamond. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to talk here about whether they're good or whether they're bad. All I'm going to say is that it was a very comprehensive piece in the Toronto Star. And one of the concerns that lawyers like myself have is that all the lawyers who deal in this area of law, personal injury and disability, are being painted in the same brush. And that's not true. There are a lot of concerns that were raised in this article. And again, people who want to find out more about that, they can go ahead and Google that, go to the Toronto Star website mm-hmm. and, and, and go through that. But just remember, the fact that you're seeing a flashy ad somewhere, okay, or you're hearing this amazing uh, uh, advertisement mm-hmm. on, on the radio or on TV, it doesn't mean that the people who are advertising uh, are who they claim to be or that they know what they claim to know or that they have the uh, background and expertise that they claim to have. And so there is this issue that lawyers in my profession really are struggling with. So do your due diligence. If you are injured, if you are disabled, if you need legal help, make sure you do your due diligence, do your research, uh, whether it's by Google or getting references, whatever it is. Don't paint all of us in the same uh, brush. Uh, just like you wouldn't do that with doctors, dentists, engineers, architects, etc. 
So that's all I would say on that point. Got uh, Terry Corcoran here. Terry, thanks for uh, coming by. The first time of the show. I'm sure it won't be your last. You've got, what, five decades of, uh, of work in the insurance side of things? Something yeah, like that? Uh, darn near about four anyway. Wow, nice stuff. So uh, what have we got going on today? This, this should be interesting because we talk about insurance all the time. It is. And I actually got to know Terry because I was talking on the show a while back. This is going back months and months. Uh, and Terry contacted me and said, you know, I want to correct you on a few points. And it was really <laughs> fascinating to talk to him because... You know, like I said, I have the experience on the legal side, but he was there. He was in the, if I can quote uh, someone out of Vancouver, you were in the belly of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have a lot of information and knowledge about it. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about your background? Well, I, um, I was in the industry for about 35 years and most of the time in life insurance and disability insurance. So it's... Uh, it was a, it was a, saw a lot of changes over the years and kind of know that whole side of the business inside and out. And you were dealing with a lot of people like myself that uh, sometimes you used to shake hands with and sometimes I'm sure you used to curse. Uh, correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Been through a lot of things like examinations for discoveries and uh, only ever went to trial once and we'll get into the reasons behind that That's uh, right. a little later on. That's right. So one of the, the reasons I ask you to come here today is because I speak a lot about long-term disability, and you have a lot of experience in that. So, so let's, let's uh, get right into it. Um, are there some companies who routinely turn you down when you apply for disability, irrespective of the legitimacy of the claim? The short answer to that, Sivan, is yes. And behind that yes is the fact that there are, there are good companies and, and there are some bad companies, it, ones that I consider that way anyway. There are some smaller companies in particular that I would call bottom line adjudicators. And by that, I mean, they're looking at their profit margins ahead of the claimant, perhaps. The thing that a lot of people may not realize is that LTD is a big ticket item. There is, when, when you apply for LTD and you are approved for it, there is a big chunk of money that the government requires the insurance company to set aside to fund that claim. It has its roots uh, in consumerism so that that money is set aside and available should your insurance company ever go under. That, that was the purpose of it. But it also ties up a lot of the insurance company's money. So it's a big ticket item. The LTD claim gets their attention. And if... Uh, if you're not a quality insurer, perhaps you're, pra you're doing things like that, like you're turning somebody down, irrespective of what's going on with their disability, because it affects their profitability. It, it could motivate them to be tough. Uh, there are others, there are other reasons though you may get turned down fairly quickly. There, your insurer could be working off of a thing called a disability duration guide. And so your claim comes in you're going to be off for the next two years. The disability duration guide says you should have only been off a year and a half and you get turned down. If you're, if you're submitting an LTD claim and you're getting a decision in like 30 days or less, I would consider that a red flag. I don't think that the claim has been thoroughly adjudicated if you're getting uh, an answer that quickly. A quality insurer, when they get your claim, they're going to write to your physicians they're going to uh, do a phone interview with you. They're going to consult with their in-house physicians because they all have consultants uh, on the payroll. And that all takes time. And 
uh, even the better insurers will start looking at your LTD claim during your short-term disability claim if the insurer has uh, both your LTD and STD coverage. And that way, when you get to the end of your short-term disability, the change to long-term is, uh, is seamless. But there's just one other point I want to make, too, and that is, conservatively speaking, about 25% of the long-term disability claims that insurers will see are psychiatric and an even larger percentage of a psychiatric component. Those types of claims require great skill. And the fact of the matter is, is that training of adjudicators kind of varies from company to company. So the, um, the quality of the decision you're going to get, uh, it can go one way or the other. That's fascinating. That's actually quite interesting. Uh, and uh, one of the questions I want to ask you when we come back uh, from break is uh, what happens when you actually appeal an LTD cutoff uh, sure. or a denial? We'll take a, a short break, 416-216-5910, to get hold of Savannah anytime at his help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. While you're uh, during the break and hanging out, waiting for us to come back, check out injurycalculator.ca. Find out what your pain and suffering number could really be. A few short steps, and you'll get a number right at the bottom of it. We'll take a quick break. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Terry Corcoran is here. This is interesting because you are getting the inside look of the insurance company, long-term disability claims, which you normally would never have a chance to, to get any of this information, right? Absolutely. You know what, uh, John, as Terry speaking here, all I'm thinking in my mind is John Grisham, John Grisham, John yeah, Grisham. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some of those movies and books that you read and see. Uh, so, Terry, just before we broke, uh, I said uh, that I would ask you, what happens when you appeal an LTD cutoff or an LTD denial? What's the process from the insurance company standpoint? Uh, generally speaking... If you um, your claim's been turned down, you come back with an appeal, it's going to be some type of a peer review. But again, there are quality insurers and non-quality insurers. I have one colleague who worked for a company where your file didn't get a fresh set of eyes until you asked the third time. <laughs> no kidding. I am not kidding. Uh, so the real question is, does appealing get you anywhere? And the short answer is probably not, because even with fresh eyes, uh, the person who's looking at it is still following the same company uh, standards and practices. But uh, I'm going to put a caveat on that. If you do appeal and you submit some new medical information, um, uh, here's a consultation report or here's a new development, that sort of thing, that could change your situation. But if you're coming back and just knocking at the door and saying, uh, are you sure? The insurance company is going to come back and say, yeah, we're sure. You know, so mm -hmm. if you're appealing, you really have to have something to back it up with, something new. But you know, Terry, it's interesting because I've had people come to me after the second level of appeal, and I've seen the gradual increase of documentation and reports they've been providing to, uh, to the insurer, and their response has been the same. A and oftentimes, it's, it's a very... Uh, what I would see is I, I would see a letter uh, in response to the appeal, and it would be a letter that's two, three, four, five pages long, depending on what it is that they've reviewed. They would often itemize or regurgitate what it is that they've seen just to say, look, we've reviewed it, and then say, but despite all that, we still deny, or we still think that you should, you know, that you do not qualify under the definition. I mean, do they actually read this stuff? I mean, who's, who's reading it? Are they, are they in every case going to their doctors or people on staff who have medical knowledge or expertise 
to tell them, you know, this is what we think? Or is the adjudicator just simply looking at it for two seconds and puts it aside and says, no, deny? There are so many different practices at different companies. It's, so it's really hard to answer that. So it's not even standardized? No, definitely not. Uh, every insurance company has, uh, has its own approach to how they're going to do disability management. Fascinating. Fascinating. So you, you, you're telling me that some of these insurance companies, uh, almost automatically, they will simply deny the claim. Well, yeah. Uh, there are some non-quality insurers that will automatically say no to an incoming claim, and they'll automatically say no to an appeal. Fascinating. Fascinating. Anything else you want to tell us before I move on to the next question? Because I these questions are just, you know, just I'm just getting more and more of them. I'm just getting started. No, no. Let's, uh, All right, let's next one. On. Next one. Uh, the ombudsman. Oftentimes people will tell me, I'm going to contact the ombudsperson. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? Should they go to the ombudsperson? Uh, what you, is the ombudsperson? Well, the ombudsperson is, the, is sort of um, a person who's supposed to wear a neutral hat mm. within the corporation that you're dealing with. Uh, but they are, they're not going to adjudicate your claim. They're going to take your complaint. They're going to shuttle it off uh, to an executive who's in charge of the disability claim. That's the one thing going through the ombudsman's office will do. It'll get your, uh, your dissatisfaction known at a rather high level within the organization. But the disability executive uh, that gets the file they're not going to do anything with it. They're going to take it and they're going to pass it back. He's going to pass it back to his experts. And his experts are the same people that adjudicated your claim. So it's, again, if you don't have anything additional coming in with it, uh, going to the ombuds person is, is probably not a great usage of your time. Now, with the ombuds uh, person, I, I have seen uh, some victories on smaller ticket items. So you're unhappy with um, getting turned down on a, a dental claim, uh, uh, prescriptions, or something like that. Uh, I have seen cases where it goes to the ombudsman, it gets reviewed, and the uh, area in charge will come back and make a, a one-time exception, kind of a goodwill thing. But that, that's on small ticket items. Almost seems like window dressing. Yeah. Silence. Okay. Silence. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, and, and, you know, the way you're describing it, it seems almost incestuous. I mean, every, it's the same people. It's like the same group hmm. of people looking. <laughs> I'm seeing your face The mind turn. boggles. The uh. mind boggles, yes. Uh, it, it's fascinating. And, and, you know, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners are thinking to themselves, okay, well, which insurance companies is he talking about? Does it apply to my insurance company? We're not going to talk today about naming any of these insurance companies. We're not getting into that for No, I, I don't want to have reasons. to retain you. We, yeah, so, no, yeah. we're not getting in there, but but you're talking from experience. I mean, this is not something you've heard. This is not hearsay. I mean, you've actually no. seen this. Yes, correct. And, and, and you're fairly high up. And I mean, you, you were on the other side when claims like lawyers like myself have advanced. You were on the other side directing lawyers to fight those kinds of claims. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Uh, John, do we have some more time right now? We'll or? take a, you know okay. we'll take a quick break because we have lots more to go here as uh, we continue on with Terry and the show. You want to get a hold of Savannah in the meantime, 416-216-5910, and it is help at the insurance lawyer.ca, the insurance injury law show right here, Talk Radio, AM six forty. 416-216-5910. That's the number to get a hold of Savan. You want to email him, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Terry Corcoran is here 35 plus years in the insurance industry, so you're uh you're getting the dirt here this entire hour. Good we to are, have him here. and I'm learning things, John. I, I'm just scratching my head with some of these answers, and, and <laughs> I believe each one of them. And you know, just when I thought I couldn't be shocked uh, any more than I already have been. Okay, next question. 
what can you do to avoid being cut off? Because, you know, as much as I love the work and as much as <laughs> I, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I feed off of this, right? Lawyers like my stuff. This is how we make a living. Mm-hmm. But I also like to tell people, here's what you can do to avoid coming to me. So that's the question to you. Mm-hmm. What can you do to avoid being cut off long-term disability? One of the things, uh, Savannah, is be as compliant as you can with the insurer's requests and do things that they're asking you to do in a timely fashion. Participate honestly in phone interviews. Uh, If they want to discuss uh, rehabilitation, be open to those types of discussions. Encourage your doctor to be thorough in whatever he's sending to the insurance company. Include those consultation reports, the test results, the clinical notes. All of that is going to save time and could help keep you on, get you on, and keep you on long-term disability because uh, something scribbled on a prescription pad or a sparsely filled out attending physician statement, that's not going to get and keep you on LTD. Now, all that said, um, there is is a um, practice in some companies involving their adjudicators that can conceivably play against you. Now, no insurance company is ever going to admit to the fact that they have termination quotas. But what what does go on in the industry, in some companies, is that there are actuarial expectations of terminations. So, for example, I'm an adjudicator. I've got a caseload of, say, uh, 100, 150 active claims. I may have a certain closure rate expected. They may expect three, five percent of of my caseload to terminate over every uh, month, quarter, whatever whatever the measurement's going to be. Now, as an adjudicator, achieving or not achieving that goal could be a personal performance issue for me. Now, it's not a quota, but will it affect me as a claimant? Maybe, maybe not. It's very subtle, but it's there. It's like speeding tickets. Yeah, John, honestly, get Grisham on the phone right now. <laughs> this is crazy. So what you're saying, Terry, is that some companies, again, not painting everyone in the same, in the same brush, just like with the previous story with Diamond and Diamond, but you're saying that with some companies, uh, it's understood, it's expected, there is this motivation to close certain number of claims by a certain time period, essentially for financial reasons for the company. Correct. Fascinating. See, I've been vindicated. Everything I've been saying, know, right? crazy, crazy. And you know, and, and you know, Terry, I, I, I've always said as well because I have, a, you know, friends in the industry who are claims adjudicators as well, and uh, many of them that that I've known, especially when I was doing defense work, they're good people. I mean, this is not, it's not indicative of of the insurance company going out there and saying, you know, we're looking for the people who are the most disagreeable and uh, the the worst type of people. No. <laughs> It's just, I guess these are policies. And it's, it's not necessarily, Savannah, going to be extremely punitive for the adjudicator, but it's, it's, it's that pressure yes. that is put on them. Huh. Interesting. It's a mood within the company. It's yeah. expected. It's expected. It's not like somebody's going to say you're going to get fired, but you know what? We may look more favorably on you, just like you were mentioning, John, with spitting tickets. You know, we didn't get enough people today. So yeah. why don't you go yeah. and sit down uh, down the street there and see who else. Uh, lurk for a while. Exactly. Yeah. The expectation may be based on the uh, that particular company's experience. In our experience over the years, this percentage is, is supposed to be closing out of your portfolio. Uh, 
or is there something going on we need to know why aren't you meeting that same kind of expectation now when you close um we haven't discussed uh, this particular question before the show, but I'll just throw it out there to you. When when you or, or when an adjudicator closes a file, is the expectation that the claimant uh, would potentially seek legal help, or, or is the idea that you know let's hope that they just go away, uh, go on their merry way, and that's and never hear from them again? And and Correct. if they retain uh, a lawyer to help them, then we'll deal with it. It's closed. The um, reserve that they've been holding against that claim is released back into their general revenues. And uh, yeah, that's it. So there is this reserve, this amount of money that they put aside. And when they cut you off or deny your claim, that doesn't mean necessarily that their reserve has been all used up. Correct. Okay. Uh, so, so that means that there is more money potentially to be paid on that claim. Well, no, it just, it, it, that was the money that the government required you right. to set aside to fund that the entire period of that claim should that insurance company go out of business. Once the claim is closed, however, well, that money isn't needed to fund a claim that isn't open. Right. So it goes back into the general revenue. What happens if it goes to use? Of exactly. Let's, let's, and I get these calls daily. Uh, somebody calls me up. Uh, I mean, I just read one of those emails right now with this lady with the CDU. I think, let's say she has a claim. I've looked at the medical documents. I don't understand why she was cut off or not led back on to the LTD claim. So I get involved. I deal with the adjuster now. Uh, I'm starting a claim. What happens? Do they re-reserve a certain amount? Yes. What happens? Yeah. Well, uh, once it's wow. opened up, uh, yeah, the reserve has to be put back in place. Yeah. And it's, it's been opened up because that person came to me or to a lawyer that presumably knows what they're doing. That lawyer puts in a claim. And so the insurance company now has to put money aside for potential resolution down the road. Correct. Okay. Uh, interesting. Very, very interesting. We'll take a, a quick one, 416-216-5910. Moving forward, you have any questions for Savannah, just help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And any time outside of show hours, that is the number, 416-216-5910, the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640. 416-216-5910. That's Savannah's number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to a few emails here in just a bit. If you haven't checked this tool out as well, injurycalculator.ca. Know what your pain and suffering uh, could be worth. Got Terry Corker in here giving us the inside scoop of the insurance company with uh, three and a half decades, give or take, of being inside that particular door. So this is uh, fascinating stuff. Don't get to hear this every day. No, we don't. Right? No, it's fascinating. So Terry, let me let me move on to another question. Uh, are insurance companies interested in fighting claims like the ones that I bring? Uh, or, or do they just want to settle these claims? How does that work? How do you see it when you were on the other side, you had a lawyer like me bring a claim, what would be your strategy? Well, um, there's a couple of questions in there, but uh, to, to go back, the, the, the insurance companies are interesting in fighting a claim um, to a point. The vast majority are going to settle out. The longer the litigation, the less it's about the facts of the case, and it's more about the expense of, uh, of proceeding. In terms of even thinking about going to trial, it would have to be almost virtually a motherhood issue to that insurance company or something where setting a precedent is going to be desirable before they would ever push it that far. That government money we were talking about before the reserve, let's say it's 80 grand. That is my, in, a, in litigation, I'm looking at, that, uh, looking at that as a benchmark. Now, am I going to spend, in my expenses uh, to defend the lawsuit, am I going to spend 40 or 50% of that? And 
take it to trial and assume the risk of losing and pay expenses of the guy who sued me and still pay the claim and deal with the bad publicity. It all comes down to pure economics and a business decision. So settling out with uh, non-disclosures very common. It's also why the industry kind of uh, really welcomed and embraced mediation because that generally forces settlement. It costs less than the yeah. uh, traditional route. You get your non-disclosure. It's a shorter process. And what's good for the claimant is that you don't have a claimant who ends up in a state of financial battle fatigue where it's dragged on for two, three, four years. And how am I supporting myself in the interim? Is that why you mentioned, which is shocking, I don't know if you caught that, Savannah, that you've been to court once? It's gone that far to trial To once? trial? Yeah, yeah that's once. crazy. In 35 years or so. And they had requested a, a jury trial, and after the opening statements, the jury was dismissed because the judge felt it was just too complicated. And, and you know, that's what I find, too. So we'll start a claim. This is on almost every case that, that I adjudicate now. I don't know if it's different w- w- when you were dealing with this on the other side or just in your experience generally. But I'll start a claim. Uh, we will make sure to put a lot of effort in the, in the preparation of the claim so that there is enough detail. Make sure we have all of the medical documents we need. I always emphasize that. We would need the medical support uh, and, and provide that to the insurer. Provide all the documentation. It's a very document-heavy process, uh, which many lawyers and individuals fail to understand oftentimes. And I almost always I would get the other lawyer, the defense lawyer, the one acting for the insurance company, calling me up, emailing me, faxing me, saying, would you like to go to mediation? Just straight out. Would you like to try and resolve yep. the claim? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the irony is that they these are claims where my clients came to me, whether because they were turned down after one or two or three appeals or whether they were simply denied just off the bat. And here they come to me. I do my due diligence. I do everything I need to do. I put it forth. Insurance company's lawyer says, do you want to settle? They don't say it like that, but they say, do you want to mediate, which essentially is the same thing. And and I I always say, listen, they're not going to pay, you know, everything because the whole point is that they want to avoid the expense of going all the way. It's all dollars and cents. It's all dollars and cents for the insurance company. And and this is the other thing. And And how big is the reserve? Right, right. And we've talked about this a lot as well, that for people, it's not dollars and cents. I mean, they need the money, but for individuals, oftentimes there is a principle at stake or, or, or uh, there's bad blood between them and the adjuster. I mean, it's personal to them. It's them, right? I mean, they feel like they've been wronged. Uh, so that's that's actually, that's really fascinating to me. Let, let, let me throw another question at you. Um, when you are on LTD uh, as an individual, what are some of the signs or red flags that you should watch for? Um, for example, one of the things that I've been talking about is, well, if the insurance company after a year or two years or close to the two-year mark, they tell you, we want you to, to, to be seen by one of our doctors. I, I, I say that's a red flag, not because it means you're going to be automatically cut off or denied, but the insurance no. company starting to they're sort of, it up. Yeah, they're starting yeah. to move yeah. around your claim a bit to figure out if there is any way that they can, in fact, cut you off. Yeah, I don't. I don't really think it's it's a red flag though, uh, Savannah, because that, that's just all part of the normal mm-hmm. uh, process in a long-term mm-hmm. disability claim. You start out with one definition of disability, and then two years down the road, or some period of time down the road, it changes that you've got to be uh, disabled uh, to do any kind of job according to your training, your education, your experience, and that sort of thing. So they are going to be just routinely looking at the claim in preparation for that date coming up. They don't want to. Uh, they don't want to be making these decisions at, at the eleventh hour. So they prepare for it, and that might include 
writing it to your physicians, which you may or may not know has, has occurred. Uh, or they might say, okay, we've booked an appointment for, uh, for you to see this uh, physician to assess your disability. It's very important that you keep that appointment because contractually, if you do not show up for that, the insurance company virtually has the automatic right to cut you off right then and there. Right. And that's something that we emphasize as well, that this is a contractual relationship. Correct. There is a, the policy is the contract. Under the policy, you have obligations to the insurance company and they have conversely an obligation to you or obligations. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and oftentimes when we make a claim or start a, a legal claim uh, when the person has been denied or cut off disability, what we're saying essentially is that the insurance company breached its obligations under the contract when we are seeking a legal remedy. And that's how the process gets started. Fascinating. Very, very interesting. Yeah. John, so we've learned guys, a lot. Well, do you guys, do you, uh, both of you guys talking back and forth about the reserve and you, you go in with a dollar number. Do you, do you know what he's got? No. Reserve? You don't. So how do you, how do you come up with that number? Because he just said we got allotment for this amount in reserve. Right. Right. So how do you, how do you know what number to go at? So that's an actually, that's an interesting question. I'm going to let Terry respond on his end in a second. I'm sure there's, that there's actuarial uh, rationales of how insurance companies come up with that. From Correct. my, from my standpoint, uh, when I go to mediation and I have two coming up this week and two coming up the following week, mm-hmm. you know, what I tell my clients is, is this, uh, my, my job essentially at the mediation stage is not only to advise you, but through the art of negotiations and it's very much like poker, right? Because the case is the facts, the facts that I'm dealt with about my client, about the medical documents I have, uh, who's on the other side, who's the insurance company, what's a disability. These are all facts, just like cards in a poker game. Mm-hmm. But I'm sitting across the table from the insurance company represented by their lawyer. And it's up to me through the mediator to use my skill and expertise to draw out what is the maximum amount of money that they have come with that day, the day of the mediation. And it's a confidential process. It's without prejudice, which means that the following day, if we haven't settled the day of the mediation, we can't resurrect necessarily the offer, right? It's not automatic. It's for that day. But it's a back and forth negotiation through that day, through the mediation. Mm -hmm. And at the end, if I am comfortable that we have uh, extracted the final authority that that adjuster came with that day, then I can tell my client, okay, they have no more money, meaning the adjuster that's come here today literally has no more authority to pay another single dollar or cent uh, without calling his or her supervisors, if they do that even. And then I can sit down with my client and say, listen, here's what I think. This is, do I think it's appropriate? Do I think you should accept it, not mm-hmm. accept it? Here's the breakdown. Uh, here's what you end up netting in your pocket. You know, is it taxable? Is it not? So that's how I deal with these reserves from my end. For, for my purposes and for my clients, they want to know that we've extracted as much as possible within, within that mediation uh, uh, process. We'll take a a break, Terry, your opinion on that when we come back. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. More of the Insurance Injury Law Show coming right up on Talk Radio, AM640. 416-216-5910. We're going to help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for email. And if you haven't checked out injurycalculator.ca, do so now. Last few minutes here with uh, Terry Corcoran here. Some uh, really, really cool insider knowledge of the insurance industry when it comes to being across the table from you, right? Just fascinating stuff. Uh, So, Terry, you were uh, for many, many years on the other side of the table, uh, literally speaking, at mediations. I've never come across you, but you've come across a lot of other lawyers Mm -hmm. advancing claims for people who are disabled. 
would it make a difference in your eyes or the insurance company's eyes or who was on the other side, who the opponent would be? How would you uh, deal with different lawyers depending on their level mm. of expertise? Well, yeah. Um, Put you in an uncomfortable spot answering this. Yeah, well. Brain on the weak one. Not, not, not going <laughs> to name names, but there were there are certain firms, certain lawyers that had uh, a reputation as, okay, uh, we better make sure we got all our I's dotted and T's crossed because this guy's going to know how deep to dig and the right questions to ask that could be damaging to us. So a lot of extra mm-hmm. caution as opposed to uh, somebody who's coming from perhaps a uh, small market, uh, small law firm, uh, is, is usually used to, to doing family wills and maybe real estate and stuff like that. And uh, the fear factor goes down, let's put it that way. <laughs> Better call Saul. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. I'm not going to press you on that point. Uh, Let's just circle back quickly to the reserves issue. Uh, You were going to talk about that a bit. Yeah. uh, One of the things I wanted to mention I hadn't before is um, insurance companies will sometimes take a look at a file and they'll say, you know, this guy, we're stuck with him to 65. There's no question. Mm. He's qualified. What they may do is they may approach you and offer you what in reality is a percentage of the reserve uh, to buy your claim out so that they can close it down now. Basically a lump sum. Yeah, a lump sum settlement. And um, that can be advantageous for some people. Uh, it's uh, It really depends on, on how dependent you are on a scheduled monthly income. Are you comfortable? Uh, with that, or are you more comfortable taking that lump sum and investing it or doing something with mm-hmm. it or achieving some kind of a goal with it, that sort of thing? So, again, the reserve comes into play. Now, what would happen if the individual, and I get these questions too, uh, say to the uh, adjuster, uh, would you like to offer me a lump sum? Does that send a red flag? I wouldn't do that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I don't think that's a great idea. They and so the insurance companies can do it, but the individuals can. Yeah, it's uh, it's a non-contractual type of arrangement, and it's uh, yeah, uh, you got to wait for them to come to you. Okay, and, and once they come to you, uh, are these amounts negotiable? Generally speaking, depends on the company. Okay, so a lot here depends on the company. A lot of these answers and information and things we discuss here today are really dependent on the companies. I'm giving you a wide view of the industry now. Fascinating. Well, John, this is uh, this is really eye-opening. How do you get a hold of you, Terry, outside of here? Um, through Savant. <laughs> through me, right? Through me, that's right. <laughs> You're the guy, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, All right, yes, so yes. there you go. We, uh, we barely touched on it, but injury calculator before we wrap, you can get to that one too right, anytime, it's a, right? Exactly. It's an online tool. We've been talking about it for quite a while, and uh, it, it's free to use. It's anonymous. If you're injured in a car accident, in a slip and fall, essentially through someone else's negligence mm-hmm. in Ontario, uh, you go to that online tool, you input a few key pieces of information. You don't have to put your name or anything, but... You know, tell the calculator uh, where this happened, you know, Toronto, how old are you? Uh, is it impacting your ability to work? What kind of injury did you suffer? How serious is it? And literally it takes 15, 20 seconds. It's just click menus. And then at the end, what it does is it goes through a database of cases uh, that we've put into the program from across the country, uh, other cases that yep. have actually made, you know, made it all the way to court where judges have said, here's how much an ankle injury, uh, I- injury is worth. Here's how much a shoulder tear is worth. And what, what the calculator will do is, based on the information you've given it, it will give you a range 
for pain and suffering that you could potentially be uh, entitled to or owed under the law in, in Ontario. Uh, so these are not numbers that I have simply come up, you know, just put in there. Th- these are actual uh, uh, cases that form uh, that range of damages. Mm-hmm. And again, very important to understand, this only deals with pain and suffering. Doesn't deal with income loss, doesn't deal with out-of-pocket expenses, uh, rehab and uh, medical expenses, housekeeping expenses, things like that. Very, very neat tool. Injurycalculator.ca. Till next time, 416-216-5910. Email simple as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk radio, AM640.